0: We're finishing this series, Jesus in His Own Words. I have absolutely loved the opportunity to walk through this with you. Here's what we've said. Let me give you an in condensed version of what we said, okay? We have said from the get-go that what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Now, before I go any further, I want to say this. If you are here and you're a guest and you're like, man, I'm trying to figure stuff out. I say this all the time. You don't have to agree with what I say to come here on a Sunday morning. So I want to get that out in the open, okay? So you don't have to agree with everything I say to come here, hang out, let it percolate. But we would believe and I would believe very strongly that what you believe about Jesus is the absolute most important thing about you. The problem with that is this, is that most people in our culture, in society, have heard of Jesus, Right? So when you say Jesus, like, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. I know about Jesus in the Bible. The problem is this. All kinds of pictures come to our mind when we say Jesus. Not necessarily the same picture comes to your mind that might come to their mind that might come to my mind. The reason for that is this, is that a lot of us grew up with something being reported to us about Jesus, repeated to us about Jesus. Eventually, we believed it. We've been using this analogy of fake news, right? Fake news is just a false story that was reported, repeated it, eventually believed. And so a lot of people, they get their their idea of Jesus from some source, it gets repeated, and then it sticks. And so every week we've been throwing different pictures up here of Jesus, and and we've been having fun with it. You can Google, you can get your own pictures. Uh, Today, we introduced the walking dead Jesus. Raise your hand if you recognize that up there. Okay, I just need to know who I'm talking to this morning. Yeah, that's awesome, right? And we have cartoon Jesus, we have Lego Jesus, we have dove land on the shoulder Jesus, we have all of these pictures of Jesus. Problem with the picture our culture has of Jesus is this, is that many times, in fact, can I go a step further? Most of the time it's incomplete and inaccurate. And so that's why we're doing the series. We're saying, hey, why not let's just go to Jesus and say, hey, who'd you say you were? And so that's why you have your Bible in the book of John. Because in the book of John, there are seven times where Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank. There are four Gospels in the New Testament. That's the second part of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the most unique of them. So if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke... You know, are like, man, there's a lot of similarities. But John says this. He's like, I want to take a different angle to the life of Jesus. And one of the things he does is he pulls out these seven I am statements, and then he helps us understand who Jesus actually said he was. And so that's all we've been doing is teasing this out every week. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the I am, he said. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That was last week. This morning, here's what we're going to tease out. Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. In fact, you can look at chapter 15, verse 1, and see right out the gate, he gives us the answer to the question, right? He says, I am the true vine. But here's what's fascinating about this one as opposed to some of the other ones. He doesn't just say who he is, but he begins to define some of the other players in the story. It's interesting. Look what he says. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Look down at verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is like, I'm the true vine. Let me describe the Father. God is the gardener. God the Father, the gardener. And then he says, I want you all to find yourself in the story. You're the branches. And now here's the deal. We said this every week, and so let's just say it again. Most of us like, okay, we can kind of come up with an idea. What did Jesus mean when he said, I am the true vine? And we're like, okay, think about vine and branches and fruit and all that stuff. And we, we can kind of throw a dart because of the picture that we come up with and say, come pretty close to what he might have meant. But what I've been challenging you to do, and I hope you'll do this, not just as we go through the series, I've been challenging you this way, that Jesus says, I am the true vine. And that is something that he says, couched in a much bigger story that's going on. And when you understand the much bigger story that's going on, all of a sudden it begins to pop. For instance, let let me just tell you where we're at. John 15 is in the middle of John 13 to 17. You're like, duh, thanks, Dan, for that, right? But here's why that's important. If you took those chapters and held them in your hand and just did that, don't do it, by the way. But if you did that, those chapters, 13 to 17, are what we call Jesus' farewell address. So he's having an intimate conversation with his disciples right before they get ready to arrest him and crucify him, right? And so chapters 13 and 14, they happen in the upper room, okay? The Last Supper, that whole picture many of you have seen. And we talked about this last week. John 13, Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. That was a little weird for them, right? Begins to wash all of their feet. All 12 of them there. And then he says this. One of y'all, by the way, don't miss this. One of y'all that I just washed your feet, <laughs> one of y'all gonna betray me. And then he identifies which one it is. Now, interesting, none of the rest of the site was picked up that it was Judas when he left. Like, he must be running an errand for Jesus, right? Then Jesus says, hey, I'm getting ready to go somewhere. Y'all can't come with me. Oh, Pete, I love Pete. He's like, not me, man. I'm coming with you, even if I gotta die with you. And Jesus drops the bombshell, right? He says... No, no, Pete, he said, before the night's out, you're going to disown me three times. He got everybody stirred up, right? And so that's why he starts chapter 14 by saying, hey, don't get all stirred up. Don't, Don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus says this, because I am God who has pitched my tent with you. Remember, we talked about that last week. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. So that when you leave the tent of your body, there is a permanent place for you with God in heaven, in my presence. Fascinating. Right? Yesterday, um, yesterday we, I, I thought of this because we, we were celebrating the life of somebody special here in, in, our, in our church family. And, and the way that I was thinking about yesterday, Lisa was her name. She walked out of her tent 47 years old, and she walked into the presence of Jesus. She walked into her permanent place that he'd been preparing. It's fascinating, right? So Jesus like, I'm, I'm going to prepare this place. I dwelt in my tent. I'm going to prepare a place. But then he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that he can help you. End of chapter 14, Jesus says this. All right, come, let's leave. That just tells me he leaves the upper room and they're walking. Where are they going? Great, great question. They are on their way to the garden where Jesus is going to pray this agonizing prayer. And then they're going to come arrest him and they're going to crucify him. And so a lot of people think, well, maybe he said I'm the true vine because they passed a vineyard, a garden, a picture of a vine and grapes and this, that, and everything. And maybe they did. That's a great way to think. Maybe they did. But I think the reason this popped for his disciples, stay with me on this, the reason this would have all of a sudden stunned them, I think, was because they were Jewish. You're like, okay, help make sense of that, right? As Jewish men, they would have known the Hebrew scriptures, which is the Old Testament in your Bibles. And in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, you see the picture of a vine and a vineyard. And I think it would have helped make sense to the disciples why he said, I'm the true vine. Let me show you what I mean. You can follow on the screen, Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, now I will sing for the one I love a song about, there's our word, his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared the stones, planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower, carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But, you with me? But the grapes that grew were, say it out loud. Yeah, they weren't sweet. Now, you people of Jerusalem, Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done? God's like, I've done everything for my vineyard that I have not already done. When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now let me tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll tear down its hedges. I'll let it be destroyed. I'll break down its walls. Let the animals trample it. I'll make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned. The ground is not hoed. A place overgrown with briars and thorns. I'll command the clouds to drop no rain on it. Verse 7. This helps us understand the power of his statement in John 15. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are at his pleasant garden. Look at this. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. Stay with me. We'll pop back out in a second. Here's all he wants us to know. All through the Old Testament, he refers to his vineyard and this vine, and it is his chosen people, Israel. So the disciples, when they heard him do this, they are like, we're part of that vineyard. Problem is, all through the Old Testament, that vineyard, when it's referred to, is a failed vineyard. It did not produce the fruit God expected it to produce. It did not produce the fruit God wanted it to produce. And so into the middle of this conversation with these Jewish men around him, he said, hey, listen, guys, I want to tell you something. Y'all know that the Old Testament talks about the vineyard being Israel, but it disappointed. It did not produce what God expected. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. I am the true vine. All that you were meant to be and couldn't be, I am. All that you were meant to do and couldn't do, Jesus is like, I did. That's what he's saying. And so it's against that backdrop where his disciples have been like, whoa. Like, like this would have been powerful. This would have been much more powerful than passing by a garden and saying, hey, guys. Like, he was saying, he was going back into the Old Testament and says, I am the true vine. I am the true one meant to do all that you could not and did not do. And then he says this, John 15, and I think this passage, look here a second, then we'll read it. I think it is a profound passage. Some of you have never heard it before. I really want you to lean in. I think there's some profound things here. I'm afraid for some of you who've heard this before. I really am. I'm afraid that what you're going to be like, yeah, it's one of my favorite passages, and Pastor Dan's going to preach on it this morning because I think there's things in here that need to lean into us, those of us who are familiar with it, in a new and profound way. John 15, 1 says this, I am the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See how many times he's talking about fruit? You get, get, there's, there's a point here going on. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much. There it is again, fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. There it is again, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let your eyes drop down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, point at you so that you might go. There it is again, and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Look here a second. Let me tell you in short what he's saying. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Father's the gardener, y'all the branches. Here's what he wants us to know. Gardener, God, is interested in his vineyard producing a lot of good lasting fruit. Okay, stay with me. Gardener wants his vineyard produce a lot of good lasting fruit. Only way for it to produce fruit is for the branches to be connected to the vine. The vine's Jesus. That is the source of life. That's the only way for it to produce fruit. And then he says, y'all are the branches. Now listen, listen, this is sobering. And there's only two things in this particular passage, only two things that possibly describe the branches. Either they, you ready? Bear fruit or they are fuel for the fire. Either they bear fruit or they are thrown into the fire. John 15. And so Jesus is drawing a picture. I think it is a profound picture, and this passage is all about producing fruit, that the Christian life is about God producing a fruit-filled life, a life where there is much lasting good fruit produced through our connection to Jesus. He says, I'm the true vine. What does he mean? Three things, and then we'll be done. First is this. I want you to write this down. Jesus means this, that fruit in my life is evidence that I am connected to Jesus. Jesus. Fruit is evidence that I'm connected to Jesus. Verse 4 says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Why? Showing yourselves To be my disciples, the fruit of my life. Look here a second. The fruit of my life is what shows I am genuinely connected to the vine who's Jesus. That's what he's saying. The branches, that's our lives, produce fruit because they're connected to the life of the vine. That's what he's saying. It's very important. Jesus is simply saying you don't, listen close, you don't produce fruit in your life to become connected to God. But you produce fruit in your life because you are connected to God through Jesus. That's what he's saying. So it's an important, important point. It is fundamentally important for us to understand this. Fundamentally, what he's saying is this, is the Christian life is not about decorating your life to connect to God. But the Christian life is about producing fruit Because you're connected to God through Jesus. I have a picture maybe to show you what I mean. On the left, we have Christmas tree, right? If you can't see from the back, it's a Christmas tree full of, it's beautiful, right? Full of decorations. Here's what's interesting about a Christmas tree. How many in the room are artificial Christmas tree people? Raise your hand. I want to see who I'm talking to. Okay. Majority of people. Uh, here's the deal. I don't know if you, I'm, I'm artificial, right? And so here's the deal. Every year, I go to the attic and I pull out a box and it's got a dead artificial tree, amen you know what we do every year we decorate it up, we light it up so that people will be impressed, we can bring a little life to a dead tree, right amen, how many of y'all live tree you got and get a let me see your hands don't judge us artificial people, you know what you do you go kill a tree in order to celebrate Christmas you do you kill a tree and then you know what you do you decorate a dead tree so that it might, you might impress people with your decorations. You see, that's a far cry from what I got in my backyard. I got these bushes that produce raspberries, right? Raspberries. That's what I said. Everybody say it out loud with me. Ready? One, two, three. Raspberries. That's the way they say in Pennsylvania. I know. Here's the deal. You prune it. You, you weed it. But that thing every year produces fruit, right? Why is that important? Because here's the deal. Fruit comes because I'm connected to something living. Decorations are something I put on the outside of something dead in order to impress people from the outside. The reason that's important is this. There are many Even maybe in this room, I've been talking to people all morning, you let this lean into you however you see fit. There are many who live their entire Christian life trying to decorate their life instead of producing fruit. Some of y'all grew up that way and went to church. Here's the way. You make the Christian life a mechanical process. And so what you do is simply this. You make it a mechanical process of decorating the outside of your life with morality and goodness so that people from the outside in might be impressed at the decorations. All the while, you are dead, not connected to the vine. No one would know it. You look good from the outside, but there's no life. Why in the world would we choose to decorate our life? Why would somebody choose to do that? I think there's two fundamental reasons why. First is pride. Right? First is pride because I want y'all to be impressed. I'm the best Christian you've ever seen. I've tried to impress God. I've tried to impress my family. I've tried to impress my friends. I mean, look at me, right? Pride. The other fundamental reason that I might decorate the outside of my life is fear. I'm just afraid if I don't, right? I'm just afraid if I don't, God's gonna reject me, my friends are gonna reject me, my mama's gonna reject me. I'm just afraid. So, fear. Here's the problem with decorating your life. Look here, some of you need to hear this because you look exhausted this morning. It doesn't last, it doesn't last. If you decorate your life this morning, it is seasonal. It will not last. Listen, I was talking to somebody who went out. And if you're this, I cannot remember who it was I was talking to last week. But they went out and I said, what are you doing this afternoon? They said, we're taking down our Christmas decorations. God bless you. But I don't know if you're late or ahead. I can't remember what you are. But here's the deal. There's nothing, stay with me. There's nothing worse than a Christmas tree left up past Christmas into January, February, kind of ekes into March, Right? And all of a sudden, all the needles are kind of falling off, the branches are kind of brittle. And all of a sudden, what you see is this dead old Charlie Brown tree trying to hold up the decorations, right? It's like awful. It's ugly. You're saying, Dan, what's the point? Because for some of us, that's exactly our Christian experience. We are exhausted trying to hold the decorations up because there's no life. And so if I can get people to be impressed, but the problem is it's hard. It's exhausting, and some of you, you grew up that way. It's not your fault. It wasn't the fault of the people that, that told you about it. Maybe they meant good, but the, but the problem is this. There's no life. It doesn't last. It's seasonal. Jesus says the only way to produce fruit is to be connected to him. And so here's the deal. Some of you grew up in legalistic churches, and my heart is with you this morning. But here's what happens. When I focus on the outside of the branch, I decorate my life. Look at me, look at me, be impressed with me, right? And, and, and can we just get, I'm just, can we just get personal? That's why some of y'all's life and your family and your homes is a mess. No one knows, you know why? Because you become incredible at keeping secrets. You know why? Because we gotta keep the image up. You know why? Because we gotta have everybody impressed with the decorations while inside it's just dying. You see how that works? Some of you know too well how that works. You're like, that's my life, Jesus is saying this, you're focused on the wrong end of the branch. You're, you're trying to put morality and goodness on your life. And he says, focused on the other end of the branch, are you connected to Jesus? Am I connected to Jesus? Which begs a question, well, Dan, how in the world do I connect to Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Here's what John says in another book he wrote, 1 John 4. We'll put it on the screen. He says, by this we know that we abide, the very same word he uses in John 15, in him and he in us, because he's given us his spirit and we've seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. What's he saying here? He's saying connecting to Jesus is all about acknowledging that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did. That when Jesus died, he died in my place for my sin. Here's another way to look at it. That Jesus is the true vine that was cut off so that I, somebody who's not perfect, somebody who has not done what I was meant to do, can be connected. And so what Jesus is saying is, to focus on this end, am I connected? Have I said, yes, Jesus, I believe you are the bread of life that only in you is there spiritual life. I believe you are the light of the world. The only way for me to walk out of spiritual darkness into light is you. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the good shepherd who laid down his life in place of the sheep. Yes, Jesus, I believe you are the resurrection and the life. That you had victory over death, sin, the grave. Yes, Jesus, I believe you are the only way to heaven... Yes, Jesus, I believe you are the truth, the only way to make sense of my life. And I believe you are the life, the only way for me to experience the life that I was meant to experience. And when that happens, there's a connection. And what's the fruit then? Okay, Dan, so when I connect, what's the fruit? That's a great question. Simply put, my life begins to look like the life of the vine I'm connected to. you got to write these down. First and foremost, I think the thing that shows up is my character resembles the character of Jesus my character resembles the character of Jesus here's what begins to grow out of the branch when I connect to the vine who is Jesus Galatians 5 but the fruit look here a second little bible study time some of you know this passage but but never this never dawned on you it does not say but the fruits that's important to know because when you read this, like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Three out of, you know, that's not the way this works. These fruits grow in conjunction. So what he's saying is, but the fruit of the Spirit, when we're connected to the vine, is love. Love. And when love begins to grow, joy begins to take off in my life. And peace begins to cover my life. And when that happens, all of a sudden, forbearance or patience begins to exude from my life. Kindness begins to export from my life. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here's what happens. When I'm connected to Jesus, the character of the vine that I'm connected to begins to come through me, begins to show up in my life. It's interesting but it's not just the character. You gotta write this down, the conduct. The conduct of my life begins to resemble Jesus, the one that I'm connected to. Romans 1 says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented. This is Paul talking. So that I may obtain some fruit among you. Now, look here, that's like, Dan, help me understand that. What's Paul talking about? He's like, I wanna come to y'all because what Paul cared about more than anything. You ready? You ready? The fruit that he's talking about was that people came to know Jesus, that the gospel made sense. Here's the deal. When I'm connected to the vine, it begins to transform my character, but it transforms my conduct. The things that Jesus cared about, I begin to care about. The things that Jesus prioritized, I begin to prioritize. Why? That's just natural when the the, the life of the vine begins to come through the branches. Begs a couple questions, and then we we need to move on. And and it's okay for us to be really honest with ourselves this morning. Can we do that? When you look at your life, what's the fruit of your life? Well, don't be too easy on yourself for your own sake. And when you look at your life, do you see a life that's more decorated deadness or living fruit? See, the question, it's got to beg for all of us, am I truly connected to Jesus? Or am I just a decorated Christian and maybe have everybody fooled? They're impressed with the decorations of your life. Or am I producing fruit in my life? Now, there's something confusing that some of you have picked up on already and some of you maybe have not. By the way, I promise that I will not skirt around elephants in the room. And there's one in this passage. Some of you have picked up on it already. Look at verse 2. It says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Huh? Some of you have already asked yourself this question. Okay, Dan, does this mean I can lose my salvation? Does this mean that he... I'm in him, and then he cuts that branch off. Let me give you the answer in a word, and then explain why I'm saying it. The answer in a word, ready? You can write it down, is no. It does not mean you can lose your salvation. The reason I say that is Jesus makes it abundantly clear over and over again. We're safe and secure. John 6. John 6. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. And this is the will of him who sent me. I shall never... I shall lose none of those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Then what does he mean? Great question. That's why I think you got to read this in the context of the story. He's saying, help me understand that, Dan. Well, remember, he was talking to 12 guys when this whole story started. Do you remember that? But now in John 15, there's only 11. Why? Because one of those guys he began the conversation with, his name was Judas. Do you know what he's doing when John 15 is happening? He's out gathering an army that's going to come into the garden to arrest Jesus. And he's going to betray him with a kiss. You're saying, what's the point? Listen to me. Look here. I'm going to blow your mind. Some of us, we villainize Judas like, man, I bet he's an evil, whatever. Can I tell you something? You got the wrong picture of Judas this morning. He hung out with them for three years. He looked like them. He sounded like them. He acted like them. In fact, when he went and left that supper to go betray Jesus, it says none of the disciples put it together. None of them thought, hey, I bet he's going to do this. I always knew that about Judas. None of them suspected Judas. What an example of somebody who is superficially connected to Jesus. They profess to be a Christian, they look the part, but what they are is simply a decorated follower. There's no life. In fact, it makes me think of a very, very, very sobering passage in the Bible. You ought to write it down and check it out for yourself Matthew 7. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Sounds familiar. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Look here a second. Well, why would they do the will of the Father? Because when I'm connected to the vine, what did the vine do? I came and did the will of the Father. So when I'm connected to the vine, the life of the vine flows through me. Now check this out. Many, verse 22, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Some of us are like, What's that, prophesy? Let me put it in our language. Didn't we, you ready? Y'all are off, off the hook on this one. Didn't we preach every Sunday from the front in your name? Didn't we teach the Bible in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles? And then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Sobering, guys. What are these people saying to to Jesus? They're saying, look at us. I got impressive decorations I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. Look at all this stuff I was doing and what does Jesus say? Those are simply decorations on a dead life. You were never connected. Look look here. I've been praying all morning for you. I think there are a lot of people who go through their entire church experience and all they know is decorated Christianity and they don't know The life of connecting to the vine. I think Jesus is saying something that's profound. Decorating my life focuses on what I do and what I did. But the life in the vine focuses on what the vine, Jesus, does and what he did for me. They are two totally different things. I focus on the other side of the branch. That's all he's saying. There's something else interesting in the passage. If you write in your Bible, can we throw the John fifteen up there? It's amazing when you look at verses four through eight how many times he says the words I have underlined in, in on the screen. He says, Remain in me, remain in the vine. He says it eight times in these four verses. He's like, that's where life is. Well, what does he mean? Some of you have versions that say, abide in me. That's how some of you grew up learning it. And technically, here's what it means. It means an enduring, all those words means is an enduring personal communion. Okay, so you're like, wow, that sounds sterile. And it is, right? Like, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Right? I remember as a kid, I'd be like, yeah, people abide in Jesus. Like, okay. Like, what does that mean? And I think Jesus does more than give us the definition. I think he describes it in verse 9 and beyond. Look at this. you got, you got to go here with me. As the Father has loved me, Jesus is talking, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. Everything I learned from the Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you, appointed you, so that you may go bear fruit, fruit that will last. He says, this is my command, love each other. What is he saying? Guys, this is powerful and transformative. I want you to write it down this way. Fruit in my life is a result of my friendship with Jesus. For some of you like, I want, I have a what? That's what he's saying. What does it mean to remain in him, to abide in him? He says, I want you to live. I want you to live in the context of the fact that you're friends with me. That's transformative. That's profound. That is powerful. He is redefining our relationship with him. Now, he says, I no longer call you servants. Look here a second. I got to correct something. We look at the slavery and and servants through our American history. And right, we should. I mean, we have quite some. But we, we can't look at servanthood and slavery through that lens and put it on the first century here. Because servanthood and slavery was something totally different there. You need you need to track with me here. For some people, to be bought or redeemed as a servant was the best thing that could happen in their life. You know why? Because it was the path to a better life. It was kind of like now I have a way to make an income, provide for my family. And some of those servants that came into the master or the king's house, they, they literally came in, they were, they were brought in as servants, and then they kind of worked their way up. They were trusted by the master, and some of them became the master's friends. Such that some of those servants became the first person the king saw in the morning and the last person the, the king saw at night. They were so connected. Jesus is saying this, I don't simply just call you servants I call you friends how does friendship with Jesus work you ought to write these things down three things ready first and foremost it starts by recognizing and receiving his invitation Jesus is the one who starts the conversation here's Jesus to you this morning you ought to write this down just this way Jesus, and this is all out of John 15. I'm not making this up. Jesus is saying this, ready? He's saying, I'm dying to be your friend. You ever met somebody just dying to be your friend? Like, wow. Jesus tells them, he's like, Dan, when is he saying that? Look what he says. He says, greater love has no man than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friend. What's Jesus going to do in a couple hours? He's going to die. Why? So they can have forgiveness of sin, have a connection with God, be his friends. Jesus is saying, I'm dying to be your friend. He doesn't just say that. He says, hey, you know what friends do? They They let each other in on their business. That's what he says. He says, hey, I'm not holding anything back. I let you in on what the Father, what God has told me. You know the Father's business. You're my friend's. And then he says, verse 16, he says, friends, here's the deal. I chose you. I picked you. Can you believe it? Jesus like, I picked you. I'm dying to be your friend. I'm letting you in on the Father's business. And I'm the one who chose you. He says, I want you to live knowing that, receiving that. I'm the initiator of this friendship. But then here's the deal. Friendship then responds to this love. Friendship responds to his love and here's how it responds with loving obedience. The more I recognize how much he loves me, the more I recognize that he chose me, the response is simply lovingly obey. Jesus says it this way. Some of you have misread this. He says, if you love me, you ready? You'll obey me. That's how he says it. "Like If you love me, you will obey me. Some of us have that backwards. We have it backwards. We think, man, if I'm a good person, if I really work hard, if I obey, then maybe he'll want to be my friend. He's like, hmm. No, no, I initiate it. I laid down my life. When I begin to lean into that, the response is simply my affections for Jesus are stirred. And the more my affections for Jesus are stirred, the more I understand how much his affection for me was stirred. And the more that happens, I respond. Right? But here's the fascinating thing. Then then what happens is friendship with Jesus results in fruit. He says you bear fruit not to get a response from Jesus, but in response to him. And guys, this is powerful. Some of you need to hear what I'm getting ready to to say because it is mind-blowing. In John 15, there are two specific fruits that show up when I am friends with Jesus. You know what they are? Here's what he says. When I am friends with Jesus, when I abide with Jesus, he says, you'll love each other. You'll love each other. He says, when when, when you lean into this connection you have with me, you'll love each other. Don't miss this. Exactly how I love you. That is a far cry from somebody who's decorated because can I tell you something? When you decorate a tree, all those decorations on the tree are are selfless. They give nothing to anybody around. I can't pick the decorations off my tree, eat them, and have benefit. But when you grow fruit from a vine, what is it? It is selfless giving. It gives fruit and benefits those around. Jesus is simply saying this. When you connect to the life-giving vine, Jesus, what's going to flow through you is you're going to realize Jesus gave his life. That's how he expressed his love for you. And it is going to bear a fruit that is going to be love each other so that everybody around your life can benefit from the love flowing from your life. Now, 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 now some of you need to hear what he says next. He says, you'll love each other, but there's a second fruit. You know what it is? He says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Here's why some of you need to hear that, because there's no joy left in your life. In fact, you can't figure out how to muster up joy. It's gone. And you're like, man, I, I wish I had joy and for some of you there's no joy, you know why? Because you've been focused for years on the outside, decorating the outside. And when you decorate the outside of your life, you know you know how you get joy by what happens on the outside. If it's good, you're happy. If it's bad, you're mad. If you decorate the outside of your life and people acknowledge and admire you, you're like, whoa, man, I'm feeling pretty good. If they overlook you, you're like, oh. What Jesus is saying is joy isn't focusing on the outside of the branch, but joy is focusing on the other side of the branch. Joy comes from the fact I'm connected to and friends with Jesus. That's joy. And no matter what happens out here, I can grow in joy. I gotta use this illustration because it struck me yesterday. I was in this room, we were celebrating the life of a, a lady some of you know, and some of you don't. If I'm not mistaken, she was 47 years old-ish. Two young children sat right there, her husband sat right there. Her name was Lisa. And if you didn't know Lisa, can I tell you what I heard over and over and over and over again? Lisa walked this incredibly, incredibly grueling battle of cancer. Literally just, just sucked the life out of her. And people over and over and over again talked about Lisa. And about the joy she had. It wasn't fake. She didn't like, whew, I have cancer. That's not Lisa. She had this unshakable peace, this unshakable perspective, this unshakable steadiness and faithfulness. I was listening yesterday People just talking about this, this woman who, who literally walked I mean she was in and out Up and down the hospital I was like, Where does that come from How does somebody Get that The only way that Lisa Had that was and if she was here I think she'd tell you this She was connected to the vine That's joy That's peace That's life. See, some of y'all are exhausted, and you have no joy. And here's what happens when you are a Christian who decorates the outside of your life. I'm gonna just give you a warning. I'm sure nobody in here will ever face this, but I'm. Here's what happens to Christians who just decorate the outside. They get grumpy. They get grumpy. You know why? There's no joy. There's no joy. Jesus says one last thing and then then i got to land. Look at verse 2 and then, then let's land this ship for today. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Talked about that. While every branch that does bear fruit, that's a good thing, right? He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a vineyard or something, a tree being pruned. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, I don't own an orchard or anything, but we do have trees in our backyard. And uh, my wife and my mother-in-law, every time I go to prune those trees, right, here's what they say, looks like you're killing that thing, right? I mean, it's a messy process, and it looks like you're hurting the tree, right? Can I get an amen, right? Now, that's not me, by the way, if you can't tell by the hair. I mean, that's sometimes what it looks like, and you step back, and you're like, oh, dear Lord, let it live, right? Because pruning is messy and it looks like, man, you're going to kill the tree. But what happens, pruning happens not to kill the tree, but so that the tree will have more what? Fruit. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about. All of us go through painful times of cutting. And when we go through those times of pruning, those painful times, listen, this is so convicting. It will reveal the source Of our life. It will reveal where the source of our life is. You ought to write it down this way fruit is the reason God prunes me. Fruit is the reason God prunes me. Sometimes in the pruning process, it's a big pile of branches. Sometimes the pruner cuts fruit off so that more fruit will grow. I like the way Tim Keller says it. The pruner of the vine never cuts anything that is not a loss to keep and a gain to lose. Let me put it to you simply this way. I've done this for a long time and I've watched people go through very hard times. In fact, in the first service today, there's a lady sat right there, second row. Oh my goodness, her story. She's gone through some really hard times. And I've watched people go through the same kinds of discouraging, hard, even unexplainable times. And some people who walk through those, it drives them into this inexplicable, almost supernatural, deeper relationship and love for Jesus. They're not fake. They're not like, whoa man, I'm glad I'm doing this. It, you just, this is almost this, this supernatural, like this, that's this woman. I mean, when I grow up, I want to be like her. Because she is facing just awful stuff. And and her love for Jesus just almost exponentially just pops off of her. Whereas there's other people who walk through the same kind of experiences. And instead of driving them into Jesus, it drives them way over here. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because when times of pruning and cutting comes, it reveals where the source of our life is. And that's where the story makes sense. There's two guys in the story that represent the branches Jesus is talking about. There's one guy who went and gathered an army. They came back to the garden and he betrayed Jesus for some silver. And when all of a sudden it dawned on him what was going on, the pain in his life was so overwhelming. What did he do? He went and hung himself. Cut away. But there's a second guy in the story. His name's Pete. And that night, Pete came back and started hanging out in the fringes while Jesus is standing illegal trial. And a servant girl comes. He says, I think you're one of his followers. And Pete's like, no way, no how. No, 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 no. I'm sure you are. He swore. "Uh Uh-uh. You sound like you're one of his followers. I am not connected to him. Luke says, at that moment, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Wow. The very next, listen close, the very next encounter, we read Peter having with Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't cut away. He doesn't run away. You know what he does? He jumps out of the boat. He can't get to Jesus fast enough. Why? Because the source of his life, he had offended, he had had disowned Jesus, but he ran into the friendship and the relationship he had with Jesus. Who did Jesus use to ignite the church in the book of Acts? Pete. Peter. Peter. See, Billy Graham has a quote. Some of you have heard it before. I love it. Mountaintops are for views and inspiration. We all love mountaintop experiences, right? But fruit's grown in the valleys. See, sometimes God disciplines us because we're heading down the wrong path. It's like you're heading the wrong way. I love you too much to let you go. Sometimes he simply prunes us because the fruit that we're growing, he wants to mature he wants us to grow more but i will tell you this i don't know about your experience but in my experience when i look back over my life the most productive fruit ever grown in my life happened in the deepest darkest valleys i would never choose to go through them on my own listen i would never trade the fruit they produced So it begs a couple questions, and I'm going to ask Aiden and, and Ryan to make their way out, and I think they're worth writing down, and, and then I'm going to dismiss you. But I want you to write these questions down, and I really would love for you to think about them honestly. First is this: I think Jesus saying, "I am the true vine," begs the question this morning: "Am I connected to Jesus?" Am I really connected to Jesus Or am I simply a decorated church goer I got everybody fooled But I know I'm dying on the inside I'm dead You see my heart goes out to some of you Because you grew up this way And you've been guilted into Decorating your life with morality and goodness And this morning Jesus is saying this He's like it's not about what you're doing It's about what I did and this morning his invitation to you is connect to me. Say yes to me. I'm the only source to life. Some of you, this is all you know. It's all, it's all you know. It's like, yeah, but Dan, I, I, I grew up and, and, and grandma told me and the, and the preacher told me and, and you've been decorating your life and you're exhausted. I'm, you're exhausted. I talk to so many people that are exhausted because you got dead branches trying to hold up Impressive decorations. And Jesus said, stop. Stop. Connect to me this morning. Connect to me. Say yes to me. It's like I'm the one who died in your place. You know, Christianity is the only religion, the only religion whose leader died in our place check me on this you follow other religions about decorating your life to impress God Jesus said no quit decorating your life and connect to the vine that's where life comes from some of you this morning that's the the most important question you can answer the second question that I think this passage begs and that's this am I cultivating friendship with Jesus some of you have no joy because everything that steals your happiness is on this end of the branch. And Jesus is saying, why don't you lean in to me and friendship with me? But Dan, you don't understand how hard life is. Much of you think about it is an arrogant statement. We all think we have it harder than everybody else, don't we? We all got stories. I bet if I let you come up here, each of you could tell about hard stuff in your life. Hard stuff happens in life. Jesus said, I'm the vine, and that's the source of joy. If this is where your happiness is, you'll be disappointed. You'll give up. You'll get grumpy. Some of you are there. There's some of you that are undergoing the knife, so to speak, and the prunings in your life, and it begs the question, how am I responding? How am I responding? Do I trust that the father who's the gardener loves me and he is doing something, even though it feels like he's killing me right now? I mean, it feels like it's a mess and it's just like I'm gonna die. That maybe God is doing something that's gonna produce something in me that I never could imagine. If I just trust him. He's not asking it to be fake and superficial. He's saying, just trust me. I love you. So God, I... I I'm blown away that I get a chance to to know and serve this group of people sitting in front of me. I pray for some of them that have not connected to the vine. And if that's you, I pray this morning would be the morning you say, Yes, Jesus, I believe you are the bread of life, the light of the world, the Savior who died in my place. And I want to connect my life with you you can pray that right there in your seat. I would just ask that if you had that conversation, you let me know. There's some of you this morning that, quite frankly, have not been cultivating the friendship with Jesus. and. He begs of you to focus on the other end of the branch this morning and say, if you would just allow your life to be overcome, overwhelmed by how much I love you and set your affections on that, fruit begins to grow. The fruit that benefits others, love, and the fruit of a joy that nothing external can steal. You're my friend. God, there's a whole bunch of us that are gone through hard times. We trust you. We need you. We want you to produce something in our life that we can't manufacture, can't even decorate our life with. I pray that you would help us in that process. We need strength and courage. Perspective, maybe. Resilience. But I pray your grace would shine in the middle of our weakness. So God, we love you. We know that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name.